The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The reading today is out of uh, Luke 1, 39 through 45, and also Luke 11, verses 27 through 28. So we're going to start under the Bibles, under your chairs, that's on page 856, or you can read on the screen behind me. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Page 870. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So... A week from right now will be Christmas morning. Isn't that crazy? I don't know what emotions you feel or thoughts you have when I say that. But I find myself, uh, I love Christmas. Christmas is always a big deal growing up. Christmas is a big deal in our house. Um, We had a lot of traditions growing up. But I would guess probably 80%, I'm just making statistics up because that's what preachers do, but I would guess 80% of the traditions that we had occurred from Thanksgiving Day till Christmas Day. Like that, we just packed all our family traditions into this one time of the year, this one month. And so whenever Christmas rolls around, I find myself, I, I get really excited. I love Christmas. Like, I'm that guy. Don't judge me. I might be playing Christmas music in the office. I'll be burning a candle that smells like Christmas in my office. I'm making confessions to you guys. Like, this like probably not a manly thing to do, but don't look at me that way, Grace. That's, that's, that's what I do. And, and I, I really get into it, but I find myself, I, I'm more excited at the beginning of the season than I am about right now. Because generally what happens is I go into the Christmas season with hopes and dreams about all the things that didn't go well last year, we're going to change this year. The late night Christmas Eve wrapping, the uh, rush to the last minute to get presents from Megan, because I am a, I'm, I'm not just a procrastinator, which I am, I'm a terrible gift giver on top of that. So you put those together, and I'm sort of frozen in paralysis until I finally decide, like, I have to do something today, or she's not going to get any presents, and then I feel stressed out because I'm going to, I'm going to, like, 
I'm going to give her something she doesn't really want. Or like, you know, I, I just, anyway, I find myself at this point of the season starting to get a little bit stressed inside. I feel a little bit of pressure because I think like all the things that I thought were going to be different this year, they're not going to be any different. And I just feel this pressure. And I don't know if you're feeling that sitting there this morning. You're thinking about Christmas Day is one week from now. I think there's a couple of sources of pressure that we have. One is, have you guys heard of the, the FMO? Have you heard of that? Fear of missing out? Like that's, a, that's, that's, hmm? F-O, that's like fear of missing out, F-O-M-O, thank you. Um, fear of missing out. Uh, have you guys heard of that? Like it, it's, a, it's a real thing and I think it's perpetuated by social media. So when you sign on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever is your your social media place of choice, and you scroll through your feed and you look at everybody that you know, what kind of Christmas are they having? They're having a spectacular Christmas. They're throwing dinner parties with good-looking people and beautifully set tables. They're having the time of their life at Brook Green Gardens, and you were just there last week, and your kids were screaming, and you were screaming at your kids, and there was a breakdown, and they're smiling, walking through, like having a beautiful time, sparkling. Like You see everybody's life, the people that you know and the people that you don't know that you follow, and you're like, man, everybody is acing life but me. And you feel this sort of inner pressure like, if I don't do what they're doing, then I'm missing out on something. So I have to do something that I'm not doing now so I can make sure I don't miss out on something. We don't want our kids to miss out. We don't want to miss out on the best, most absolutely awesomest Christmas ever. And that fear, that pressure is a paralyzing fear. There's also, I think, an inner pressure that we feel, and maybe it's not put on from people around us, and, but maybe it's, or unintentionally it is, but both of these arise from inside of us, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, or FOMO, or experiencing a profoundly meaningful Christmas, this pressure that we feel that this Christmas is going to be profoundly meaningful. When our family gathers and I'm going to make a birthday cake for Jesus, and my children's eyes are going to sparkle as we sing happy birthday to Jesus, and they're going to be more excited about the fact that it's Jesus' birthday than it is that those presents are sitting over there under the tree calling out their name, or I'm going to do this devotional every day during the Advent season, and every morning I'm going to wake up and have a warm a cup of cocoa or a hot cup of coffee while I do my Advent devotion. And it's going to be so rich and meaningful. Each day it's going to build on the next day till Christmas is going to, as Christmas Eve dawns, I'm going to have this deep feeling of wonder and thankfulness at the season. But we get about this time, or I get about this time of the season, and I'm staring down the barrel, and I don't feel deep and meaningful. I don't I'm not sure that I'm doing everything I should be doing for Christmas. I feel like I'm missing out on something or my family is missing out on something. It's a pressure that starts to build as the season goes on, the closer we get to Christmas. And no wonder for many of us, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas night, whenever it's about over and you're sitting there and you feel a little bit empty, Like this thing didn't live up to what I hoped it was going to be or what I think that it should be. 
I failed, my family's failed. And I think that's because Christmas can never live up to the expectations that we make for it. No matter how awesome the presents are, no matter how good you are at giving presents, no matter what you get in return, no matter how many great family experiences you have, no matter how many you have or how fun they are, we will always end up disappointed because there was always something that was better or more meaningful than ours was. We feel really excited about the presents we give our kids until we look out the window and we see what our neighbors got the kids. We feel really pleased with our Christmas dinner until we start scrolling on Facebook or Instagram and we see how that awesome woman who you're always secretly jealous of but you smile at her every time you see her at church through an amazing dinner party for her family. What we're really saying when we had that feeling is that if we just had more, if it was just a little bit better, if our families were a little bit more loving or if I was a little bit more loving to my family, if my loved ones were more considerate, then we would have had an amazing Christmas. But the reason that happiness is elusive at Christmas is because happiness is really always a little bit elusive, isn't it? You don't have to nod your head, but I think for most of us in this room, and I would venture to say all of us in this room, because I think this is the human condition, happiness is always a ring that I can't quite grab. I may get close to it, but I, as I reach out to grab it, ultimate happiness it's like a mirage and it's just a little bit further away. It's like when my dad was teaching me to swim, right? And he's like, you're like a couple of feet away from him and you're like, come here, buddy. And he start, you st I started swimming and the more I swam, I never got to him because he was backing up, backing up, backing up. I could never quite get it. He was trying to teach me a good thing, but it felt like he was trying to cheat me out of something and we feel that way about life sometimes, like somebody's holding a ring. I heard a, had a friend of mine describe, he said, I feel like happiness for me is like God or someone has his hand on my forehead and I'm reaching out trying to grab it, but like a big brother, he's holding me at bay and I can't ever quite reach it. I ever can't quite get to it. And the reason it's like that at Christmas is just the same reason that it's like that for the rest of life is because we tend to use Christmas for something that it's not meant to be used for. Just like we use eating and sex and family and career and even church for things that it's not meant to be used for. When we use something that God made that's good for something that's not what he meant for it to be used for, it never will satisfy us because it's not made to satisfy us. Christmas was made to be a celebration of a gift that was given to us of unimagined amazement. A gift that God gave to us when we were left in darkness on our own, when we were stuck to ourselves, when we were separated by him from a great gulf and had no help or no hope in this world, he sent light to darkness. That is what we are meant to celebrate at Christmas, and it should be full of celebrations. It should be 
full of great giving of gifts back and forth as we celebrate the gift that was given to us. It should be full of lights that are around our tree and on our houses. And because of the light that came to darkness, it should be full of feasting and joy and happiness because he gave us something that is unimaginably great. It should be full of all of those things. But when we use those things as ends in themselves, it never quite gives us the happiness that we're looking for. This text this morning that our unshowered friend read for us is about happiness. It's about the source of joy. It's about what the woman and Jesus referred to as blessedness. We're going to see three things out of this short passage this morning. We're going to see what it means to be blessed, how was Mary blessed, and how could we be blessed more than Mary? What does it mean to be blessed? How was Mary blessed, the mother of Jesus? And how could we be more blessed than Mary? Our text is in Luke eleven twenty-seven through 28. We'll read it again for us. As he said these things, that's Jesus, he was preaching. He was talking about uh, unclean spirits. And as he was speaking, he was talking about really authority over them. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him. Now, this would have been a big deal at the time because a woman did not speak in public. And not only did a woman not speak in public, she certainly did not speak in a crowd that was a mixture of both women and men that was totally unheard of and totally improper. But this woman sitting there hearing Jesus, she's overcome. She sees something in Jesus that some of the other people in the crowd maybe don't see or maybe don't really appreciate. She gets a little bit Pentecostal and charismatic, very unlike this crowd here this morning, but she gets very Pentecostal or charismatic. She starts to feel excitement at what Jesus is talking about. She sees something. See, the world had been waiting for a Messiah. The Jews had been waiting for a Messiah to come and save them. And it hits her at the time. This is the man that came to save us. He is the Messiah that has come. And as she's hearing him speak, the more he speaks, the more that stirs within her until she cannot help herself. And she cries out to the people everywhere, the crowd that is there that's gathered to hear him speak. And what she says is interesting, right? Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts, I just used that word at church, and the breasts at which you nursed. What she's saying is, blessed be your mother. And the reason she's saying that is because from her perspective as a woman in ancient Palestine, a woman's value was based upon the children that she bore to her husband and the success that her children had, particularly her sons. And so when she sees this man who is speaking the Messiah that the ancient Israel has been waiting for to come and save them, and she's convinced that this is the Messiah that has come to save them, she cries out, your mother is a blessed woman. Because you, it's unsaid there, but because you are the Messiah we've been waiting for. Now, Jesus, 
who never quite responds like we expect him to or we think that he should. He doesn't tell her to be quiet. Neither does he say, hey, you're absolutely right. But in verse 28, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So she declares that Jesus', is, Jesus mother is blessed or blessed. And Jesus said, blessed rather, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, first of all, the question is, what does it mean to be blessed? What does that mean to be blessed? We all have different pictures that pop in our mind. If you grew up in church, you might have a particular picture. If you didn't grow up in church, you might have a particular picture. You might picture something having to do with somebody praying over a meal or somebody's putting their hands on the, the head of somebody else as they prayed for them. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, the word that you may have heard it uh, translated before is often translated as happy. And that's certainly true. We're going to get into that a little bit more later. But it means happy. It means favored. It means joyous. She's saying joyous or happy is your mother because she has given birth to you. And Jesus replies in what's called a beatitude or a blessing. He says, no, blessed or rather blessed or happy is someone who hears the word of God and keeps it. Now, blessing does not have to do with emotions. When we say happy is the person who blank, blank, blah, 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 dot, 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 blah, 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 I don't know what that is, but dot, 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 happy is the person. It doesn't have to do with emotions. The saying there doesn't have to mean, hey, the person who, uh, your mother is happy all the time and never sad because she gave birth to you. Neither is he saying happy and joyous and smiling weirdly at all times is someone who hears the word of God and keeps it. That's not what he's saying. It doesn't have a thing to do with emotions, actually. It has to do with a status or situation rather than emotional state that you're in. It has to do with a situation or a status of being in favor or favored by somebody. I enjoy, uh, because also I'm a geek, as you guys have oftentimes picked up on me, I I enjoy uh, period pieces. I like historical dramas. That's kind of what I like to watch. My wife and I like to watch them as well. And if you watch a historical drama or you read or you study history, you know that when you had a king or a queen to be in their favor was to be blessed with all the blessings that come from the monarch. When somebody rose to favor in the, in the court of a certain king or a certain queen, riches came your way, land would come your way, power and wealth for you and generations to come after you would come as well. But if you ever fell out of favor with the king or the queen, then all of that could be cut off. Your title, your land, your wealth, your privilege, your place at court could all be taken away because you're no longer in the favor of the king or the queen. That's what it's being talked about here. To be in a favored state with the king of the world, the king of eternity, is the one who hears the word of God and obeys. It's not based upon emotions. It's also not based upon circumstances. To be blessed in the way that Jesus and this woman even 
excuse me, are describing here has to do with a, a sense of inner happiness at good fortune. It means a sense of inner happiness at good fortune. It means that there is a sense of joy or happiness within you that is there and abiding regardless of where your emotions are or the circumstances that you're in. Some of you have experienced that, some sort of state like that. You've gone through, I know some of you recently have gone through times of great loss, a loved one that you've lost, somebody who's been passed away, someone who is, you've found out bad news You've been through a difficult time emotionally or financially. You're going through a difficult time in your marriage or in your home. And yet, that doesn't just say that there's sadness and the mourning and the, uh, of the even being almost to a state of depression is there or a cloud is over your countenance right now, but yet inside you sense in a way that you can't even describe an inner joy or an inner happiness that lies below the surface of the sadness. That's what it means to be blessed. It doesn't really have anything to do or has very little to do with your exterior circumstances or even the emotions that might be coursing through your body at this very moment. It has to do with an inner abiding sense of inner happiness or inner joy that may even run counter or run contrary to your emotions or your personal state. If that's what it means to be blessed, and let's see how was Mary blessed. Well, first of all, we have to see is, does Jesus agree with what the woman was saying? Because she said, blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast of which you nurse, blessed be your mom. But he said, blessed rather, verse 28, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now the wording there, uh, it doesn't really come across in the English translation, but the wording there in the original, original Greek or the original Aramaic is, is saying, yes, what you are saying is correct, but there's more to the story. Yes, Mary, my mother, is blessed. That's why we read Verses 39 through 45 of Luke chapter 1. We'll look at them again just in case you forget the Christmas story. Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. This is after the angel has told her that she's going to bear a son. And he told her that also Elizabeth, your cousin, is with child. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Luke has already showed us that Mary was blessed. Mary was blessed. Elizabeth declared her to be so. But how was she blessed? So we think about this Christmas week, this Christmas story. How was Mary blessed? Well, Mary was blessed, first of all, in her apprehension of the truth. Mary was a virgin, and an angel appeared to her and said, you're going to have a child. And then she got pregnant, and she started to show and go through the whole experience of being pregnant. Now, Mary knew that she had never been with a man and she knew that she'd seen an angel. And if any time that she had a uh, 
temptation to doubt, this whole deal that she was going through as the people around her would have viewed her with scorn and contempt. She probably would have been viewed as an outcast in her village and in her society. It was a miracle that Joseph even took her as his wife. He had the right not only to divorce her, he had the right to expose her and have her killed and stoned in front of all of her friends and family. In fact, it would be the custom that her father would be the first one to throw a stone at her because she was pregnant outside of wedlock at the time. She is in scorn and in a bad reputation in, in her village If she ever had the temptation to doubt whether what was going on was real and whether it was of God, all she had to do was look down and see her belly. And no, I've never been with a man. That was not just a bad dream that I had because I ate that cheese dip after 11 o'clock at night. This really happened. This really is happening right now. And then when Joseph took her to Bethlehem and it came time for her to have uh, have the baby, after she has the baby, shepherds show up saying that they have seen an angel that declared to them that the baby was born, the Messiah had come, and then a heavenly choir of angels appeared on the field and sang a song to them. And the shepherds come and they worship this baby in a feeding trough in what was probably a cave that smelled like feces and donkey urine and, was, and had the remnants of a birth that had just happened there. Not a very pleasant, beautiful place that you expect to find the savior of the world. And that's why it says that Mary hid these things and treasured them in her heart. She had seen the proof that the Messiah was coming through her. She saw the baby born. She saw the shepherds come to her. And then later she would see the wise men who traveled from the east because they saw a star that was hanging over the place where they were living. She saw the truth that the Messiah had come to save the world. She was blessed because she had a personal part in the story of the salvation of the world. I don't know how often she thought about it, but there had to be at times like in the wonder and amazement to be as she's going through this process, sitting at home alone when no one, none of her friends would talk to her. She's waiting to marry Joseph. When she's sitting with the baby and the baby's crying and her friends won't still talk to her because they think the baby was born by a different father or with Joseph outside of wedlock. When she's sitting there going through these times, I wonder, it had to cross her mind, this is like, this is gonna go down in history. I'm a part of earth-shattering history that is happening right now. I'm the mother of the son of God. I'm the mother of the long-awaited Messiah that's come to save the world. She was incredibly blessed to be a part of that. She's incredibly blessed in that she got to have a personal share in God's son on earth. She gave birth to him and loved him in a way that nobody else on earth could. I'm not a mother, I'm not a woman. I don't pretend to know the emotions and feelings that you guys feel about your children. I know how I feel as a father, but I think it's a totally different level, a totally different layer that a mother experiences for her children. You ladies know that our mothers... Think about what it would have felt to be like the mother of the son of God. 
the mother of the Messiah. She would have seen how he thought and how he acted. She would have seen how he approached circumstances. He never sinned. So she would be learning from her son himself how he approached things that didn't go well. Circumstances that weren't good. And then she saw firsthand miracle after miracle after miracle. She was a virgin and became pregnant. She had birth, gave birth in this stable cave place. Shepherds came to worship the baby. Wise men came and brought him gifts from far away. They were warned in a dream that Herod was going to try to kill the baby Jesus and they leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. Then another angel appears and tells them he is, he is, Herod has died, you can go back now. They saw miracle after miracle. We know that it didn't surprise her because at Jesus' first recorded miracle, she calls him in and he tells her he's not ready to, do, to make a public miracle yet and she is confident enough that he can do it that she tells them, do what he says to do. He's gonna turn this water into wine. Go just do what he says to do. Go ahead, Jesus, obey your mom, do it. And he does it. She saw miracle after miracle. She had the, joy or the blessedness of a close union with Jesus himself, of a close union with God that we can't even imagine. And she had the blessing of suffering for the sake of Jesus. The apostles, after they are, are whipped at one point, after the day after, after Pentecost, they, they are whipped and, and beaten and sent away, and they, it says they go rejoicing that, they, that God counted them worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus, and Mary suffered for the sake of Jesus. Think of how she suffered. She suffered abandonment and rejection while she was pregnant with him, probably at some point early on in the, in his, after his birth as well. She suffered great pain and anguish as she sees him wrongly accused and suffer as he's beaten, as he is hung on the cross, and as he dies, she's there weeping and crying the loss of her son. She would experience great suffering for Jesus' sake. She was a blessed woman above all others. And I think that we tend to think, at least I think this way, if I could have just seen what she saw and experienced what she experienced, I wouldn't doubt as much as I doubt. If I had just gone through what she went through, then I would have a confidence. I would, I would never, ever believe a lie that something that would bring me joy and happiness outside of Jesus or that this whole thing is just, because I'll be honest with you guys, I'm a, I'm an elder of this church. I preach three out of four Sundays generally. I deal with doubt. There are days and weeks where I wonder, what if this is all just a farce and I'm just, just a dupe that's just being pulled along? And I'm tempted to believe if I had just seen what, Jesus, what Mary saw, if I'd experienced what she experienced, then I wouldn't doubt and I wouldn't wonder, I wouldn't believe a lie that joy and happiness is found anywhere else other than Jesus, if. But Jesus has a different thought. He says, yes, you're right. This woman cries out in the middle of the meeting. She's moved with uh, a sense of 
joy, a sense of uh, happiness. Blessed is your mother. Blessed is the womb that bore you, the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus says, yes, you are absolutely right, but that's not the full story. Blessed rather, or blessed more, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, the thought that crosses my mind is, how could it be possible? We just described the blessings that Mary experienced as we're thinking about this Christmas story, this Christmas week, as we think about the blessings that Mary experienced by being the mother of Jesus, seeing the things that she saw and experiencing the things she experienced. Is this just hyperbole on the, on the part of Jesus? Is this just a clever saying that he's saying, but is it really true that there could be a greater blessing? We're gonna look at the, real quickly, the, what is the cause of this great blessedness that he's talking about and what are the effects of this great blessedness? First of all, he said the cause of the great blessedness that, that those experience that, that would be greater than Mary is blessed rather are those who what? Hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and then keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God. It doesn't mean that people, blessed are those who just happen to have in their hearing the word of God proclaimed. Because the time when Jesus is preaching to the crowd that he's preaching to, not everybody would believe, not everybody would follow him. Some of the people in the crowds that he preached the gospel to, and he, can we agree Jesus was probably the greatest preacher that ever lived? Probably understood the gospel and probably understood the Bible more than any person that ever lived before. Whenever he spoke, they said, who is this man? He speaks the way that no one else has ever spoken before. He speaks with authority and compassion and love unlike we have ever heard before. And yet the, some of the people, very people who heard him preach would be the people who would turn him over to Pontius Pilate and beg him to kill Jesus rather than the convicted criminal Barabbas. Just hearing it, pass through your eardrums does not mean that you are blessed because you've heard the word of God. He's talking about a different kind of hearing. He's talking about someone who listens actively and attentively to the word of God because they believe it to be true and real and good and to be the true source of life for them. One of our worst Christmas memories in my house growing up, uh, Tree Day, which is the day after uh, Thanksgiving. That's what we call Tree Day, but that's what we call it that day after Thanksgiving because it's the day that we got our Christmas tree. It's the first big tradition in the long line of traditions at Christmas time. It was a sacrosanct day in our house. In fact, if you had asked, would you rather give up Thanksgiving or give up Tree Day, without a doubt, all the kids would have said, we give up Thanksgiving, give us Tree Day. It was a big deal. We'd go out first thing in the, mor first thing in the morning, and there was a tree lot in Conway. It was by the, uh, the Sertoma Club, and they would be literally unloading the trees from the trailer, and our family, the extended family, would be there as they're unloading the trees so we could spot the best tree that's coming off of the trailer. And we would pick out the tree, and sometimes, because uh, I won't say my mother is picky about Christmas trees, but let's just say she has refined tastes when it comes to Christmas trees. And there would be days, like, we would get there, 
We'd get there pretty early. There'd be days we would cover the whole lot, all the trees that were up. We would not find the tree because there was a chosen predestined tree on that trailer, one tree that was to be the tree at our house. And if we didn't find it on the lot, we'd be waiting as the trees were coming off the trailer. They hated to see us there because we'd be asking them, hey, let us see that one. Let us see that one. Then if we couldn't find it, there'd be piles of trees that they were pulling off the trailer. We'd have to go through and pull trees out of the pile. I'm not exaggerating and pick it up. Sometimes we'd be there till lunch as we're trying to find the tree for us. It was a big deal. So one year we found the tree. We get it home and we had this special tree that they sold at the Sertoma Club that, 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 that they drilled a hole in the bottom of the tree and you had to buy the special tree holder from them that would stick up in the, the bottom of the tree and hold it by this spike, right? So you follow me? So then, so my dad goes out and he's gonna put this, uh, this tree stand with a spike into the bottom of this tree and you have to kind of put it in the tree and you have to kind of bang it with a hammer. And as he's banging with the hammer, he got a little bit too excited in the process and the, the tip of the, the spike, the iron spike broke off inside the tree. So now the tree stand cannot hold the tree and it's tree day night. Mom is cooking dinner and this tree has to go up. There is no option where the tree goes up the next day. That, just, that, didn't, that was not an option for us. And so this is pre-cell uh, phones, right? This is, I'm old, this is pre-cell phones. And so we, we started to call around and find out, is that tree stand still open so we can go? Because we lived out in the country as well. You couldn't just like pop over. You had to go to town. It was a trek. And so we start calling around trying to find, is this tree lot still open? And we found it, it wasn't open, but we found that somehow, and I don't know how we found this out, we called somebody's office that one of the guys who worked at the tree stand, the volunteer at the tree stand, was having dinner at the Western Steer in Conway. <laughs> so the plan goes, my dad's gonna drive his El Camino. Yes, he drove an El Camino. He did not have a mullet, but he drove an El Camino, which is a moving mullet. Business up front, party in the back. He got in his El Camino with my youngest sister, Miranda, who was, I have no idea, four years old at the time, we'll say. And he's gonna, I don't know why she went with him. She wanted to go with dad, I guess. And they're gonna go to town to track down this doctor at having his peaceful dinner at the Western Steer and ask him, would you get us a new tree stand because it's tree day and the tree has to go up tonight. Now, he's gone for about, I don't know, maybe half an hour or so. It took about 15, 20 minutes to get into town. And the next thing we know, we get a call. And mom picks up the receiver and there's a policeman on the other end of the call. And he says, Miss Goff, your husband has been in an accident. And he's fine. But he needs you to come. Now what mom didn't know was that he was on a radio, because again, this is pre-cell phone days, he was on a two-way radio calling her on some sort of special police way to call from a two-way radio. And you could, he could only hear you if he let go of the button on the side. And so she says, how about my daughter, how is she? But he still had the button pressed and he couldn't hear her. And he lets go of the button and there's silence. And then she says something else and he clicks the button and she says something and she can't, he can't hear her say, how is my daughter? And then he hangs up. 
So she drew the conclusion, something is wrong. Why would the policeman not tell me how is my daughter? We drove, that was the longest drive I've ever been a part of. We drove from our house to town to, to the place where the accident was expecting there to be something really, really terrible when we got there. Now, what we forgot was an El Camino was built like a tank. And anything that hits the El Camino is going to be damaged, but probably not the El Camino very bad. The bottom line is my sister was okay, as was my dad, but we didn't know that. And that ride all the way there from the Mom was hanging on the words of that policeman for him to tell her that her daughter was okay. And when she hung up the phone, we, were, we drove in silence and bated breath to find out what is the state of Miranda's life when we got there. And then we were overjoyed to find out that she was okay. That kind of news is the kind of news that the gospel is to us. It's life and death for you and me. It is the source of joy. It is good news to those of us who are stuck and trapped in darkness. It leads to life. It leads to faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God attentively and actively as if it was the very words of life for you and I, but we often treat it cavalierly. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and then keep it. What that word keep means, it means to see the words of God or to believe in the word of God as treasure, as valuable above all things. Blessed are those who hear the word and keep it as valuable and treasured to them. And if you hear the word of God in that way and you keep it in that way as a treasure to you, as your very life, blood, as your connection to the God for whom you were created and by whom you were created, then obedience to God will absolutely follow. Not, we don't obey to earn favor. We hear about the favor that God has shown us in Christ, totally unmerited, and that because we hear it as words of life, as we sense it as water to a dying man in the desert, it births faith and it births obedience because it is heard from a grateful heart. Then quickly, if that's the cause of this great blessedness that Jesus is talking about, what are the effects of this great blessedness? If you have heard that you are separated from God apart from Christ, but he sent him, he sent light to darkness. He sent his son to a hateful people to die for the sake of a hateful people because that's what you and I are by nature to draw us to to himself and to take us who were orphans and make us sons and daughters of the king, then that will provide a source of secret joy in our hearts that transcends circumstances, that transcends even emotions that we may be feeling at the time. Things may be dark. Things may be desperate around us. We may be hearing nothing but bad news. And that's not to negate that. 
We live in this world and we are with people. We do mourn, but we do not mourn as those who have no hope because there is a secret source of hope and joy within us that transcends those things because we know that light came to darkness and darkness will not overcome that light. And one day, Jesus Jesus came the first time. That's what Advent means, coming, coming. As he came the first time, that he will come again and light will overcome darkness. There'll be no darkness and no shadows any longer and he will rule and reign in joy and happiness and peace and prosperity for everyone at all times who call him their Lord. Because of that, there is a secret source of joy for those of us that are believers. There is an indestructible peace that abides with us. That's why the scripture calls it a peace that passes understanding. I don't even understand how I have a peace within me at this time because I don't have enough money to pay my bills because I got this terrible news about me or my loved one because my family seems to be far from God. I can't seem to get my my handle upon this life. I don't know what to do with my life or my career. Uh, My Everything seems to be falling, falling down around me. My loved ones are sick or are dying or have died, but there is an indestructible peace that abides because he came once and that bursts a joy that abides, a blessedness, a state of blessedness that is not dependent upon my circumstances. We experience an enjoyment of favor. Do you enjoy the favor of God that is on your life? If you're not a believer, you are separated from God and I pray this morning would be the day that you would bow your knee to him. But if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a son or daughter of the king, you are in favor with the king of eternity. Do you enjoy that favor? Do you revel in it? Do you rejoice in it? When things are going bad around you or your heart is dull and you feel far away from God, do you remind yourself of the favor that he has put upon you, totally undeserved and unmerited? We grow in character because again, we grow in obedience as we grow in faith. That faith comes from hearing the word of God attentively and actively and keeping it as a treasure. And then there is an indefinable pleasure or an undefinable pleasure in our relationship with God? Do you experience the pleasures of a relationship with God? Mary's relationship to to Jesus wasn't based upon the fact that she was the mother that gave birth to him. It's based upon the fact that she received him by faith. And that's the way that we receive him. And her blessedness in giving birth to the Son of God is no greater. In fact, it pales in the blessedness that you and I get to experience as sons and daughters who've been adopted by the King. Before Jesus came, whether someone was blessed or in favor was based upon their family connections or their military prowess. And now, our blessedness, our sense of favor, our joy, our happiness is based upon and determined by a free gift of God to an undeserving soul. And that creates joy and faith and hope 
and peace that no darkness can overcome and that we know eventually will overcome the darkness itself. There's no greater blessedness to be found in this life, no state of happiness greater, no situation more favorable. I'll close with these questions. If you were honest, what would you say would make you truly happy? What do you tend to think would make you truly happy if you had X or if this happened? Who do you think is the happiest, most content person in the world? That is a lie unless it comes from the inner happiness that comes from knowing Jesus personally. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas with his first advent and we look forward to in his second advent, his second coming when he comes again. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.